Assalamu alaikum, brothers and sisters. Welcome back to another episode of the Remaster Podcast, hosted by me, your brother Abdullah Freeman. I'm here joined with a very special guest. We have Sister Amal, Sister Amal Fayyad. No, Fayyad. Oh, see, I, we just talked about this. It's okay. It's <laughs> all right. Sister Amal Fayyad. So, Assalamu alaikum, Sister. How you doing? I'm doing good. Alhamdulillah. And yourself? Alhamdulillah. Um, well, alhamdulillah. it's good to see that you know, Alhamdulillah, we're in good spirits because we're about to talk about something that's been. On everybody's mind, really, for the last, yeah. since October 7th, you know what I mean, subhanAllah. Um, yeah, but before we begin, we can, uh, uh, once again, we like to say, uh, please uh, donate to Mercy Without Limits, um, to the emergency funds and to funds to help our brothers and sisters in Gaza right now. And that's what today's episode will be about, uh, coping with the feelings uh, about Gaza and things happening to our brothers and sisters out in the Holy Land and just how to 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 go about, how to feel, how to talk about it. I know a lot of people have been really torn up about it, including myself. Um, oh, luckily, we have our wonderful sister here today. And just to give you guys a quick background about Sister Amal, Sister Amal Fayad is a licensed professional counselor, which is also an LPC, you could say, with a specialization in trauma. Sister Amal enjoys combining her secular education in counseling with her Islamic uh, education background. She has been involved in her Arizona community, serving on the board of trustees of her mosque and Tarbiya director of Mass Arizona. And she currently is serving on the executive board of the Mass Arizona chapter. She focuses on youth development, community planning through her work with youth. She has developed a passion for helping others. And this is what really made her decide to pursue a career in counseling. So, Sister Amal, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me and uh, for welcoming me for that warm welcome to the episode. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. It's, it's wonderful to read the like uh, the wonderful things that we have people like such as yourself on the podcast who are able to like the things you guys have done or are doing currently. So hopefully it's inspiring to the listeners as much as it is to me. But Sister Amal, we need you today because, man, the last couple of weeks have been, subhanAllah, it's been rough. It's been real rough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, they they really have been subhanallah and um it's it's just this you know continuous flip-flopping of having like a glimmer of hope mm -hmm. and then having extreme hopelessness and helplessness as we are seeing and we're bombarded with everything that's coming through um it subhanallah it's um like as i'm speaking i'm getting chills and i know i'm like i know we're all triggered and i know we're all emotional and we're showing our emotions in different ways and i think it's important to have these conversations. It's important to um, to talk to professionals, but also to just talk about what's going on um, and 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 feel the whole range of emotions. Yeah, I feel like this 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 period is especially like interesting because you know social media really opens up the full like before like the you could say TV was an eye, but social media really mm -hmm. opens the eye to like seeing everything, like every nuance everything that's going on like we see like it's almost like no rock is unturned out what is happening right now inside of Gaza and what's happening to the people you know before it's like okay you see a little bit but now it's like full range and I, I want to say like wallahu alam like of course the, the Nakba of 1948 the uh uh uh, uh what happened in what was it 2008 or 2007 and 2021 but I feel like this is the worst you know yeah well it's the worst of recent history, I would say. So I don't know if, if this is okay, but I'm going to give you just a quick, brief history. My family and myself were Palestinian. Um, my dad was born July 
20, or sorry, not 20, July of 1948, um, which means that when the Nakba happened in 1947, he was 11 months old, or sorry, 19, wow. he was born in, I'm like all over the place because uh-huh. it gets a little emotional about my father's panel. Uh-huh. He's born in 1947 mm-hmm. and he was 11 months old when the Nakba happened in 1948. And um, for years, you know, growing up, we all like, we grew up hearing about everything and we grew up watching, you know, the horror of the Intifada as it was when it was happening. Like, I, I don't want to describe, but I have like a, an image that used to replay on TV as a child uh-huh. of a Palestinian kid being uh, tortured, subhanAllah, but that like those are images that are kind of burnt, and my dad would would shelter us from some of the stories. Then later on, when I was actually in grad school, we had to do a family history of you know potential mental illnesses that were dealt with or traumas that families have dealt with. So I had to go and interview the only living family that I had, you know, up in the in the family tree. So as I'm interviewing my dad, he starts telling me about the horror of the Nakba. And he, so 11 months old, obviously he doesn't have much memory. He hears, or his memories are from his older siblings saying that, you know, his entire family was thrown on a boat into the Mediterranean with no direction. So they have no idea where to go, limited amount of food with the hope that they're coming back in two weeks. That's, that was the promise. Just leave the area, kind of what we're hearing now, leave the area. We're going to clear it from what we need to clear it from. In two weeks, you'll come back. So you'll hear a lot of Palestinian stories of, you know, like we put extra feed for our animals or we watered the plants a little more. And, you know, we covered some things that were in the house so they don't go bad because we're coming back in two weeks and people took their, you know, their keys with them and whatnot. So my dad grew up in a refugee tent site, which, again, we are seeing today happening. Like I I, just today, somebody was like, we are officially in a tent city and, and showed all these tents in Khan Yunus and in southern Gaza. So they were stuck on the boat for two weeks. Um, Egypt wouldn't allow them to go in. They weren't allowed to go back. They were from northern Palestine, from Yaffa, or, you know, central northern Palestine. Um, ended up landing in Gaza and living in these tents and growing up in the refugee camps and living out his entire life up until, you know, he started college where his brothers were like, we need a better life for you at least, and sent him off to college as a collective, you know, family, he was the only one that was sent off to do college. So I feel like history is kind of repeating itself. Like we were saying, this is the worst of the history that's happening for the Palestinians other than the Nakba originally mm-hmm. in 1948, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That was the original start of the erasure of and the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people. Was it 700,000 out of 1.5 million that lost their lives? I don't even know. Those are the numbers that are being reported. Mm-hmm. Like you'll hear stories of like Sabra and Shatila where entire, the entire city was completely killed oh, no. off. Like not a single person was left alive. You'll, you'll have one person that either, like they thought that they shot him dead and like they'll survive. There's only one survivor um, that lived to tell stories or, or whatnot. But the entire, there were entire massacres of, of whole villages and cities that were happening starting in 1948. Subhanallah. So, the pain is there and the pain is long and it's intergenerationally getting passed on. Um, and not in a way of like how Western society looks at it of like, I'm feeling a sense of resentment towards my family because of this intergenerational trauma. No, to me is my resentment is not at my family. Obviously it's, is definitely an intergenerational trauma where my children now are still living you know, the consequences of that original trauma, but they're they're seeing the current trauma happening as well, subhanAllah. 
it's like an inheritance of the narrative, you know, like you, it, it, it's, it's almost similar to the way that uh, our black brothers and sisters here are done. You know, you just inherit that narrative of this negatively happened to me or I had hopes of doing this and then this happened. I got uh, messed over and like this and this and you just inherit the narrative, you know, and, you know, stories are very precious to us, you know, and if you look in the Quran, that's why it's a lot of stories. Right. Or antidotes, you could say. Right. And I think that passing on is what keeps that fueling and it's, it's just like subhanallah I just we wish it could be better narratives passed on you know instead of ones of just so much pain and so much trauma you know how do we yes. how do we like how do we deal with that how do we deal with carrying those narratives and like operating like you know and not being hateful to the world in in general right like as muslims we're supposed to uh uh exemplify the best character and do our best to be kind, respectful, and loving to the world, you know. Fisa billah, of course, but how do we get away from that? As a counselor, what do we do? Yeah, subhanAllah, it's a, it's a big big question. Um, and as we're going through the trauma, like we got to keep in mind that the, the traumatic events are still unfolding as, as we speak. It's not like it was a car accident and we got out of it and now we're going to try to recover. We're talking about an ongoing live fed genocide that's happening right now. Like it's, it's happening in front of our eyes. And um, we have something that, you know, I I trained or I did a lot of what we call eye eye movement desensitization. So when somebody is doing, going through a lot of trauma or trying to process trauma, we don't always ask them to talk because they could re-traumatize themselves as, you know, retelling the story. So we do a lot of eye movement um, to try and find those trigger points and pull them out. And one of the things that we check with somebody is like, where where is your distress level? Where are you feeling it physically in your body? And then we as counselors have to look at it and say, is this environmentally sound for them to feel this level of, you know, distress or, or, or fear or physical pain? So... When we think about it, um, there's no healing currently going, that's going to happen. I know some people might get on my case, like we are unable to heal, but we're able to, you know, cope and and um, find ways to get through because the healing can't start until the trauma's over, mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. with what I'm saying. So how do we deal with it is our anger or our frustration that, you know, like with, with all of it, um, we, we really have to go back to our faith and we have to kind of go back to the basics of it all and believing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of planners. Allah has a plan for everything that is happening. Mm-hmm. Nothing that's happening in Palestine or in Afghanistan or in Yemen or India or any parts of the world or in Sudan is happening outside of the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or outside of his control. The same that um, you know, what's happening to the people of Palestine, the prophets all went through their own hardships and went through severe traumas. If you look back at their stories and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put them through it. And they're the chosen people of the, you know, of he, he, they're his people. He, the prophets are his chosen messengers on earth. And you would think that they would be the most spoiled or pampered, but that's not how faith works. And that's not how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala t- says in the Quran that, do you think that you are going to be left after you say, we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You will be tested by, like your faith will be tested after you say, we believe in Allah by either famine, hunger, war, and, you know, just general pain in life. So I feel like that's the first step is, is kind of just going back to that main belief of 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing this for a reason. SubhanAllah. It's, it's, I mean, of course, that's the biggest point to keep forward, that believing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing this for a reason, that all what's going on, it, it, it's part of a divine plan that we necessarily do not know, and we should just have to walk and go about it, of course, but it, it still hurts in the process, you know? And what are ways... So as I think that, you know, we're, of course, one of the many names for our creation, uh, our being is insan, right? Which is a very forgetful being. Mm -hmm. What are ways we can remind ourselves when we do forget that? Is there something I can have like attached or a reminder or something that can just remind me in case I go off, you know, sometimes? Because, you know, sister, I'm, uh, sometimes you'll sit down and you're like, okay, I need to have to walk. I have to walk. Then you think about it, the anxiety comes, it floods you, and then you forget about having to walk with you know, I'm not laughing at the situation, I'm just laughing at, you know, it happens yeah, yeah. to all the best of us. Our personal, yeah, vices. Yeah, and then it's just like, is there something I can employ, like a physical thing to like keep me to, to, to pivot back to this? Is there activities, things that we can do, you know, to keep us remembering this? To keep us remembering that Allah's in control of all things? Mm -hmm. Um SubhanAllah, I think there's this common uh, knowledge of like know Allah in, in ease so that he that He knows you or that you know him in, in difficult times. So obviously we're in difficult times right now, but in general, like to continuously remind yourself, like when something doesn't go your way or something is, is not exactly what you plan, even if it's something, something bad, just reminding yourself of, of that tawakkul, right? But let's say you're in the situation right now and you are just physically feeling overwhelmed. Uh, something that I work with my clients a lot on is is working on the circles of control, right? Like mm -hmm. what is within my control? And if you, if anybody just Googles circles of control, um, it's a very secular kind of idea of, you know, like what's in my control of things that I can change, right? In this situation about Palestine, you got to remind yourself, like, what are the things that I can truly change? I can change the narrative by, you know, posting online or whatnot. And, and, and on. I don't want to get into those details, but uh, it, at the end of it, you got to remind, remind yourself like, so that those, those are things that are in my control in that main circle, then circle of influence, like who can I influence to help the situation? And then things that are completely out of your control is the outside. But I always, when I'm working with Muslim clients, I always put like a bigger circle outside of it. Or if it's on a sheet, I'm like, remember that Allah is in control of all of that, right? Of all those circles of control that we're talking about, like even the part of that's out of your control. You got to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above this all. So if you are kind of like forgetting or you're in a place where you're just feeling overwhelmed, drawing that out and writing the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on top of all of that will help kind of put your heart at ease that even though there are all these things that are out of my control, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you know, the end all be all subhanAllah. Um, and we trust that, like I said, he knows the plan. He knows what's best for us and, and whatnot. Um, but also, we know the athkar of the Prophet that we're recommended to do, right? So when you, something bad happens, getting in the habit of saying things like, لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. And actually understanding what that means. Like, لا حول ولا قوة. Like, there is no power and there is no ability except by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when you're feeling helpless, going back to لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله with the true meaning. And if you feel like saying it in Arabic is not hitting where you need it to hit to kind of like um, reassure your faith, try and learn how to say it in English in an eloquent way to, if you feel like just saying the translation directly is not, it's not helping either. Um, but also saying hasbi Allah when I'm al-wakil continuously as things are happening, when you're feeling, you know, that 
I, I don't have that tawakkul on Allah. Hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, um, I'm trying to translate off, off the cuff. Um, like sufficient enough? Like... Yeah, so he's the best of like protectors. He's the best of like, he's the one that I go to complain to that will take care of my affairs. Hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil. So just reminding yourself of those two dhikas, la hawla wa quwwata illa billah, and then hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil. As you go on by your day, not only are you gaining the ajr, but if you're saying with that intention and the, the, you know, being present as you're saying it, it definitely helps remind you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in power. Yeah, that's a great reminder because I, I feel like sometimes, not even sometimes, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put us in these positions to where the only thing we can do is return to him. But it's almost like it's an invitation he's given us. And I feel like. This is the biggest of invitations he's given to us collectively as an ummah, right? That to, to be able to like come back and really get back to what we were supposed to be doing. You know, some of the headlines, you know, that you'll see, like I seen one where it, it said, um, uh, uh, just for example, like the biggest one, of course, recently, the bombing of the hospital, right? Just to think like, subhanAllah, like people, even hospitals aren't off limits, right? Or something like the... Um, I seen one where it said now some of the, the, the Palestinian people are writing their names on their hands just so they're identified if, in case they pass away from an airstrike. And it's like, subhanAllah, like, as so Sister Amal, as let's say, you know, because we're part of Muslim American society, which is uh, known as a, it's a grassroots organization. It's, it's based in Islam, but it's also like an activist organization, right? We like to stand for the truth. How can someone who is more in a revolutionary mindset cope with this, right? Like somebody who really wants to take more action, but they just feel limited. Like they're doing as much as they can. They're posting, they're sharing protests they go to, they're donating, like they're doing full capacity, but they still feel like they're not doing enough, right? They just feel like this isn't enough. How do you feel like, how do you, how do you, how do you rectify that? You know? Yeah. Um, SubhanAllah, going again, I, I know you brought me on as a counselor, but the work that I do when I'm working with Muslims is, is really based on faith and hadith and sunnah. So I go back to the hadith of the Prophet oh, Islam, where he talks about if you see a munkar, if you see something bad or an oppression happening, then you go and you change it with your hand. And if you can't, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet doesn't speak, from, he doesn't speak from his own, right? He speaks from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He knows that there will be times in our life where we can't change things with our hands. Then the next step is change it with your tongue. And if you can't change it with your tongue, then you change it with your heart or within your heart. And subhanAllah, we're at a time where, you know, the physical stuff that we can do is very limited. We can, you know, physically pick up the phone and call, you know, our representatives. We could call the White House. We can, you know, call people. Um, this is something that I don't know if people are doing or not. Like if you've worked with somebody who was a friend, you're no longer working with them and not, they're not exposed to you anymore. Call them up and ask them, how do you feel? Have, have you read what's happening? You know, I, I would really like to talk to you about it. Invite them out for a cup of coffee and discuss what's happening so that you're at least, you know, sharing the story to somebody that, you know, I feel like we've saturated our personal, you know, Instagram accounts and whatnot, because the people, if you don't have like a million followers, like you've saturated the people that you have, start branching out, start sharing what's happening outside and the you know, the Prophet says, right? Like, 
go out and teach about me, like continue with that da'wah work and the da'wah work of teaching the people of what's happening in Palestine outside of what CNN and MSNBC and Fox News is teaching. Because I have I've worked with people who, you know, therapists who are empaths, who are, you know, about humanity and making people feel better. And I'm surprised when their, their response, you know, their stance on the situation is like, it's complicated. Mm. And I've had the really hard conversations of like, it's really not mm -hmm. as a human, you side with genocide or you don't, mm. it doesn't matter any, anything outside of that. Like, do you, do you, and like, I, I asked them the hard, really hard question. I'm like, do you stand with genocide? I don't know if I'm going to lose friends over it. This is a very close person to me that I feel like I have that, you know, ability to have a conversation that real with them. Um, so if you're feeling that you're, you're limited on what you can physically do, then you go to the next level, which is you speak out, you know, you try and say the truth. If you see something online that is helping spread the truth, if you're a person who is eloquent in speech, if you're somebody who is um, able to do social media campaigns or do any kind of, you know, graphic design that can go out there and teach the masses, then go ahead and use that platform. Um, these are all ways that you can do. And even the last step, al-Iman, right, is, or the weakest of Iman in all of these situations, is to make dua. And we know that the dua of the oppressed is directly, like a, like a direct error to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it, it never misses. So we as an ummah have been oppressed long enough. We as Palestinians have been oppressed for a long time. So, you know, utilizing these three levels of what the Prophet discussed with us, I feel like will give us the feeling of we are doing something, inshallah. And Allah knows what's in our hearts, right? Allah knows that we want to do more and we are physically limited. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to add one more thing. At the time of the Prophet, no, go Salaam, ahead, there was Sahaba. Go ahead, go ahead. This is, <laughs> I want you to go, go off, go off. Like, go ahead. JazakAllah <laughs> khair. Um, I remember like in certain, um, in, in certain battles or campaigns for the Prophet, Salaam, there were Sahaba who would come and their eyes are pouring out in tears because they don't have the money or the animal to carry them to go out on battle with the Prophet Allah mentions them in the Quran because Allah knows what's in their hearts. And SubhanAllah, their ajr for going out and fighting with the Prophet is that of the ones who actually went out and fight. Mm -hmm. Because they were so truthful in their hearts and they were so genuine in the desire to help. But the, the circumstances that Allah has put them through has limited them from that. Okay, so I think that's also important for us to remind remind ourselves when we feel like our hands are really tied in the situation. SubhanAllah, that reminds me, you saying that reminds me of, was it, is it Abu Dar? I think it was Abu Dar who, who he walked by himself, like his camel had died and he was trying to get to the battle to join the uh, Prophet Sallallahu and the companions. And the Prophet Sallallahu said that he, he walked alone, he'll be resurrected alone and like, you know, just that, that honor, like they, they, he still made that effort despite not having all of those things, you know, and that's something definitely we can do as well. But to go back to your point, you were saying, you know, we, it, it feels almost like a big wake up call, you know, for us collectively as a ummah, like, like for this to be happening to us, you know, because we, we say we have the truth, which we do, right? We, we, we say we're the best of nations, which we are, but it's like, it, you know, you may almost ask, why is this happening? And then you, you want to think to yourself, like, what is it that we're doing that isn't right, you know? And how do we collectively fix this? And, you know, it, the question I want to ask, it, it makes me think of, like, should we, 
should we be questioning ourselves right now as Muslims, as an Ummah collectively? Should we be doing that? You know, should we really be looking to see what are we doing wrong for this to be happening? And not, I'm not blaming the people of the Palestinian people or people in Sudan yeah. or people in Afghanistan, people in Morocco. No, no, no. These things happen by the Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? But mm -hmm. at least in terms of the oppression, because one thing you hear from the Palestinian people, right? Just like, where where are the Arabs, right? Where are the Muslimin? Where, where are we? Where is two billion of us, but we don't see anybody, right? And yeah. then you, one may even ask themselves a question like, you know, they ask where are the Arabs first and then where are the Muslimin? But should it be the flip? Should it be like, well, they're asking where are the Muslimin, then they ask where are the Arabs, you know? Like, are we having a skewed perspective of who we are collectively? Is I'm kind of all over the place, but, you know, I'm just really trying to it's okay. make this like a real, you know, how, how people are feeling, you know, just, yeah. is there something, is there something we're supposed to do? And how can we do this collectively as an Ummah, this reflective uh, self-reflection, you know? Yeah. So I want to, I want to kind of hit a couple notes before I get into that. So the first mm -hmm. thing that you mentioned is like, I feel like I'm all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. That is a very natural trauma response. And Anybody that I've spoken to, or even myself, as I'm going through my day trying to get work done or trying to deal with my children or, you know, whatever it is that we're trying to to work on during our day, I just feel like I have no memory. Like, my words are slipping. My, um, my ability to remember what I have to do for the day is going on. My sleep is like that of like nightmares. It's, it's not really nightmares. It's like in and out of sleep. And when I wake up, I have no idea where I'm at. I have no idea what time it is, what day it is, what I have on my schedule. Right. Uh -huh. And and that's, that's kind of, those are all trauma responses. Right. And we're all facing what we call like vicarious trauma or secondary trauma. So you feeling like you're all over the place. Those are natural responses to being flooded with such, you know, gorish pictures and such, you know, horrible humanitarian crises that we're seeing online. That's one thing, you know, that I want to mention. The second thing they mentioned is like, why are the Palestinians calling on the Arab and they're not calling on the Muslimin? So just to clarify something, Palestine is not all Muslim, right? Mm -hmm. It's a Muslim cause, mm -hmm. but a lot of the Palestinians that are there are not Muslim themselves. So they feel like they're going to get the backing up of the Arab. Mm -hmm. But I feel also that is you know, the fact that we don't have one place in the world that is like the Muslim leadership mm -hmm. that controls everybody. So they feel like Arab leaders will be more likely to stand up for the Palestinians than Western leaders. So that's why, where the call for Arabs comes in. And, you know, back in, um, what is it, in 67, when, you know, the, oh, seven the six day, day war, war six happened. Day war, uh -huh. The Six Day War or whatnot. It was October 6th. Uh, I think it was 67, right? Yeah, 67, you, I you think. You know, the, the Arabs... Yeah, the Arabs almost made it, mm -hmm. and um, it was the it was called the Arab uh, Army, mm -hmm. and Subhanallah, I met my husband's um, my husband's aunt's husband. Yeah, so mm -hmm. his his uncle basically, mm -hmm. uh, in American terms, uh, for the first time a, f a few years ago. And Subhanallah, I was like a very 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 old man, and he told me he was I was on in the Jaysh al-Arab. He's a Palestinian guy, mm -hmm. but he was you know outside of Palestine at that time, and and he was like I was on the army, and what happened was. We were defeating and we were winning and we could see victory. And then we got the orders to stop fighting. Subhanallah. Right? So there, there are, you know, big powers that are playing within all of this. So there was that sense of the Arab army can come back and, and protect. So that's where you feel like that calling. Um, but if you talk to the people of Gaza or if you watch the videos of people in Gaza, their faith and their iman, subhanallah, like, 
is something that embarrasses me mm-hmm. of my level of E-man. Somebody who's living comfortably with air conditioning and food, you know, abundance of food and water and, and luxury, right? Mm-hmm. And there are people who are living under the rubble and they come out and they say, Alhamdulillah, Allah is the best of planners. And like just that level of faith. And the narrative has changed a lot where you will hear them crying for the Arab, but it's not in the sense of we expect you to come, but it's like shame on you, Arab. Mm-hmm. Like, shame on you Arabs for not coming to us, but they're only calling on Allah. Majority of them are only calling on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and calling on the Muslim Ummah to come out. So, you know, as a Muslim Ummah, what do we do? Um, you know, we're all hurting. And this is kind of where I started at the beginning. I'm like, there's a sense of hopelessness, but also a sense of hope that's coming in with all of this. Um, SubhanAllah, I have hope that things have changed because I've ta- I'm talking to people in the Muslim Ummah who never cared about Palestine mm-hmm. that are losing sleep over the situation now. And we are finally resembling that description of the Prophet mm-hmm. of the Muslim Ummah is like a body. Mm-hmm. When one part of it is physically in pain, he doesn't say the rest of it is in pain. He says the rest of it is sleepless with fever. Mm-hmm. Right? So subhanAllah, this is this is kind of describing our situation right now. We are sleepless. We are like feverish. We're vicariously being traumatized with the pain mm-hmm. in the rest of our body. Mm-hmm. So that's where my my hopefulness comes in. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah. You know, you bring up I'm an interesting point. Answered. No, what you say the last part? I said, I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, mashallah, it's wonderful, you know, because it makes me think about this next part, you know, just to make it more specific, right? Let's get specifically, let's say you're Arab, right? Mm -hmm. And you feel like guilty and you feel angry, you know, let's say maybe you're from Misr, which is Egypt. Let's say you're from uh, Algeria, you're from Morocco, or you're from uh, Syria, Kuwait, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Saudi, like all these places and you feel... How how do you rectify those feelings, right? Being that it's so close and you hear these people speaking your language, calling you, or let's see, you theoretically, and your leaders are silent. Now, you can correct me at any point right now, but I haven't heard any, I mean, I've seen like a few official reports and this is including all Muslim countries of like maybe people condemning or saying something, but as far as real intervention, I haven't heard of anything. Wallahu alam. Like, correct me, please, if I'm wrong. I would love to be wrong on this particular no. thing. I haven't heard anything. Um, I think I read something about, like, Oman mentioned something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not really sure. I know, like, Saudi Arabia posted something about restraint is good in the situation. You know, like, those vague, vague messages. Um, I know Saudi finally lifted the ban on making du'a for Palestine. Really? So we're we're moving in the right direction in, in to a point. Yeah, the, the, the imams of the major masajid were not allowed to make du'a for Palestine or against Israel or really? because of the process of trying. Yeah, so just recently, I think within this week, that has been lifted, subhanAllah. How long has that been? Do you know how, I'm sorry to interrupt. Do you know how long that's been a thing? Um, it's been a while and maybe you and I can talk offline, but you know, I, I grew up in Saudi. Um, so I, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of stuff there, but subhanAllah, as you know, as the, the the people in charge change, the policies continue to change with them. And every time somebody takes over, they change what's allowed and not allowed. And 
and whatnot. So up until I think this week, Du'at wasn't allowed in the Haramein um, or until last week. And then now, now it's allowed. So at least the people are feeling like, okay, we could at least publicly make Du'at for, for all of this. SubhanAllah. So um, for the people that are there, I think there is, there's a lot of fitna that's, that's kind of, there are people out there that are trying to cause fitna, mm-hmm. right? So they go on Instagram accounts and um, they'll post things like, um, well, your Saudi brothers and sisters didn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So now the Falsinis get angry and they get into fights with, with Saudis mm-hmm. or with Omanis or with Qataris or whatever. What are you doing? What are you doing? And these are people that are being paid to go in and, and, and instill that fitna. Obviously, the the people of these countries don't are not represented by the leadership. 100%. Unfortunately, and I think that's something that we need to understand. And if you're an Arab that's living in that country, like you got to do what you got to do within, you know, within your limitations. We are kind of in the same situation here in the West. Like there's just so much that we can do mm-hmm. in the Arab world. Unfortunately, it's a little bit harder mm-hmm. because they can't even protest. They can't even call their representatives. They can't in some situations, some countries, they can't even have these conversations in private because things are tapped and people are listening in and whatnot. And there's a fear of like an actual fear for your life on these things. Um, SubhanAllah, I can't be the person that tells you like, despite that fear, you need to do something Mm -hmm. because I have my personal limitations that I feel like Mm -hmm. and personal fears and Allah knows, right? Like Mm -hmm. what you really want to do. And I feel like until our whole ummah is just, not that has nothing to, to lose, but unless our whole ummah gets to that level of like, the akhirah is more important than the dunya. We're going to continue being oppressed by our leadership and, you know, and other leadership, if that makes sense. Um, so if you're Arab in a different country, just do what we are doing. If you are able to protest, go ahead and protest. If you're banned from protesting and there's an actual safety issue to yourself and your family, then do, you know, social media stuff. If that, because I know that's monitored in a lot of Arab countries as well. If that's monitored and you're unable to do that, then do what you can with your heart. Make that sincere du'a. Like, what is something that you can give up that's maybe like a continuous sin that you have? And this is for everybody, not just people in the Arab countries, obviously. Mm-hmm. But what's a sin that you you are stuck with right now that you feel like you, like something that, that brings you a lot of joy in that sin? Like, what is something that you can give up for Allah's sake? Um, what is an extra ibadah that you could add on with the intention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept this to help relieve the people of Palestine. Wow, right? So um, I think that's where, where our job lies, no matter what country you're in or what leadership you're under. You said two wonderful gems. That I'm going to reiterate again at the end that once the Ummah gets to the point to where we believe the Akhirah is better than the dunya, we won't collectively be able to make that type of monumentous change at least right and until um just looking at what smart you by that you can implement in your life just to relieve your brothers and sisters like implementing this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help your brothers and sisters I, those two things you just mentioned I believe are like monstrous of how effective they could be you know just that mind shift change you know if everybody just implemented just that or just one small sunnah to add in addition to whatever fara'id that they do, subhanAllah, it could make yeah. a world of change in like the world, you know, just that's subhanAllah. That's, yeah, that's that's beautiful, yes. you know. 
No, you, you the one something? thing that comes to my mind, yeah, the one thing that comes to my mind, and, and Spanala, right before this, I had I was with a client, and you know, she's dealing with exactly what we're talking about, right? Uh, of like that sense of disparity, and I don't know what to do. So the ayah that keeps going through my head, or the ayat, is from Surah Nuh, where Nuh is telling his people, "Istighfiru Rabbakum innahu kana Oh people, make istighfar to Allah. Because, and then he starts listing why you do istighfar. Not because he's like, so you could forgive your sins. He's not talking to believers, by the way. He's talking to people trying to convince them to believe in Allah. He's like, استغفروا ربكم إنه كان غفارا يرسل السماء عليكم مدرارا ويمددكم بأموال وبنين ويجعل لكم جنات ويجعل لكم أنهارا. So make istighfar to Allah. He is the oft forgiving. يرسل السماء عليكم مدرارا. He sends the heavens filled or pouring with rain. And he grants you money and he grants you children and then he grants you gardens and rivers. So this again is a speech from Nuh telling the people that istighfar gets you all these blessings. So subhanAllah, as we are watching and we're feeling helpless, it's really important to maybe give yourself like a like a width of like, this is how many istighfars I'm going to start off with. If it's not something that you're constantly you know used to doing, I'm going to do 100 istighfars before the end of the day mm-hmm. with the intention of truly asking Allah to forgive me because maybe what's happening in the world, part of it is the sins, the collective sins of the people, right? Not to, to play the, the the blame game of, you know, I don't want anybody to feel like this is their personal, you know. Yeah, it's too um, large for any one person. Or too large. Exactly. But as a collective, you know, our, our sins do prevent rain. Our sins do prevent barakah in our own time, barakah in our own money and in our own children. So it's important for us to, you know, to set these aside of like, I'm going to do with 100 istighfar, maybe text a few, uh, like, you know, if you have a close group of friends on WhatsApp or something, like, hey, let's hold each other accountable. We're going to do 100 istighfars with the intention, right? Can you hold me accountable? Then maybe in a week, once you got 100 down, okay, well, let's make them 200 or 500 or whatever it is and and add that extra to your day, subhanAllah. And inshallah, we will we will start to see the change in our in ourselves um, as we are doing an more ibadahs and getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah. That's, that's wonderful. You have to do that. You know, one thing I remember one of my uh, Quran school teachers was telling me, um, he was saying, he gave us a, uh, just a quick daras about the importance of sending even something like salawat upon the Prophet, right? Just the benefit of doing that and how that can make uh, changes. And he told us the hadith of the Prophet, where he told the companion about how doing it more would just be more beneficial for you, right? Um, I, that's definitely something also to include a part of that, the istighfar as well, you know, just those little actions, you know, I think, I really think we, we underestimate the, um, including myself, you know, but we just underestimate that the impact these little things can do. And we, we get so big on like that, as they call it, what Messiah complex or Superman complex. Like you want to save the world and save everything, but it's like, you have to do the little stuff before you get to like those big, big actions, you know? why do you believe as a counselor, right? How do we get so fixated on these Herculean efforts and we ignore the little things? Why is that? Um, Because I I don't know, this might sound a little, um, not very nice to say, but I feel like we see that I could be, I could try to be Superman mm-hmm. knowing that I'm not, I, there's no way I'm Superman. There's no way I could do Superman-like work. So, oh, well. I don't know if that makes sense what I'm saying. So like if I set my goal at this extremely high level of I'm going to go and I'm going to be the savior for everybody, 
while knowing 100% that there's no way I could be that savior, it's a lot easier for, for me to be like, well, it's too big of a job. Like I can't go and, you know, give victory to Philistine by myself, but I'm going to set the goal of I'm going to be the one that sets Philistine victoriously and, and, and make it victor, uh, victorious. But it's a lot harder for me to be like, you know what, there's the sin that I, I'm constantly doing. It's a lot harder for me to be like, I'm going to change that sin because I can do it. And I can, I'm, I'm held accountable to that level a lot higher than, you know, Allah doesn't expect us to go all out right now and, and go and, you know, fight or whatnot. But he expects us to better ourselves and improve those small problems that we have or small sins that we have within our life. Um, so a part of it is almost like setting yourself up for failure, if, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, versus actually changing the things that you know you can change but don't want to. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, Salahuddin Al-Ayubi when he, uh, before they went to go free Quds, Al-Quds, he looked at the people and the state that the people were in. And once they were at a certain level, it's like, okay, like we're able to go. And if we were to use that same barometer, like you said, we're, some because I know some people may say, oh no, we have the people, we're able to fight. But if you really look at the quality, not the quantity, but the quality, not that I'm here to disrespect Muslims. I love being Muslim, mashallah, tabarakallah, right? Mm-hmm. But- Collectively, it's a lot of things we haven't even rectified amongst each other before we say we're going to move collectively as a group to accomplish this, right? And like you said, a a lot of people probably do have that uh, cop-out or fatalistic, if that's the word to use, type of view set of, oh, well, I can't do nothing about it. Salaamu alaykum warahmatullahi right? Which is kind of a great segue because let me ask you this. What would you say to someone who is like, they they don't feel no way about this thing? Like it's sad to them, but they're just kind of like, eh. It, it, it just happens. Like people are just dying. It'll happen. It'll keep happening, whatever. What would you say to somebody like yeah. that? Are they wrong to feel like that? Is it somebody who's numb or is it somebody who just doesn't care? Like, what would you say to somebody like that? Just not mine. Um, so I, I think it just depends on the person, mm-hmm. right? There's no one, one way to answer that. Yeah. So if a person is numb because that's their trauma response, it's very different than somebody who's numb because yeah. they just don't care about what's happening because their focus is more on like materialistic life or like, I'm just going to go about my life and my entertainment and my whatnot. So that's very different. So somebody who is, you know, traumatized by everything that's going on and they're just paralyzed into this like numbness, then my response to them would be like, what can you change with your heart? Then from there, once you're not feeling like, once you're feeling a little bit better then what can you change with your mouth or your hand or, you know, what can you do other than that? Um, and that numbness is a, it's a natural trauma response for a lot of people, right? It's, I know what the, the first few days after things happen, like the, the seventh, eighth, ninth, maybe into the 10th, like I would just sit and not be able to get anything done. Like I couldn't get grading done. I couldn't like, I just felt like I was, unable to sit with my clients properly. Like my head just was not where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's a normal trauma response. What's important is like, how do I, how do I move forward from there? So if you're truly in that numb state and you just feel like you're unable to get out of it, maybe like that's the point where you start seeking help, talk to people. Um, even if it's like a support circle to just sit there and like express or listen to other people expressing because numbness can also come from the inability to express how you're feeling. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you just add to it. You have more to add to it, inshallah. Yeah. So that's the, that's for people who are feeling numb. The other side is a person who just doesn't care. And those are the, you can't equate the two together, right? So somebody who really doesn't care, 
what I would say to them is if you, if they are a Muslim, I would talk to them about why is Palestine important, mm-hmm. right? Why, if, if they're unable to connect to the humanitarian part of things, like there are actual people being ethnically cleansed as we speak, there's a genocide of, you know, multiple generations are being killed in seconds, right? And we have full families that are being wiped out. If you're unable to connect to that part and just say like, oh, well, we're all going to die, like, okay, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight with a person who's in that mindset. So I'm going to go to the next level. How is this and why is this important to you as a Muslim? This was the first of the Qiblatain, right? This is where majority of the prophets were sent, where they passed away. The prophet went for Isra and Mi'raj and led all the prophets there. It's, as the prophet said, Ardul Manshar wa Ardul Mahshar. This is where humanity started. This is where humanity will end, right? Or Ardul Mahshar is like Yom Al-Qiyamah, like majority of the Mahshar is going to be in that area. So Talk to them from an Islamic perspective of why this is important to them. Now, if they're not interested in that either, then I would go, okay, or if they're an American citizen, I would talk to them about this. Are you okay with your hard-earned money going to support the genocide of people, let alone Muslim, Arab, doesn't matter, right? Are you okay with your money that you worked so hard to go there when your own student loans are not being forgiven because we don't have the money for it? When you don't have health care because we don't have money for it, when our roads are broken and our school systems are the worst in the world, are you okay with that? Where your money, instead of it supporting your own children, your own families here in the U.S., is you okay with it being sent off to kill people? Let's say they don't care about the killing part. Are you okay that this money is not used for America to improve our country? Are you okay with that? And just and, and work with them on understanding on all the multiple levels of how this is not a good idea. Okay. Maybe they'll care. And at the end of it, don't waste your breath. These are not the people that are going to come and, and, and help in these situations. They might be trying to do this I don't careness to just you know evoke an emotion out of you. They might be just trying to cause fitness. So you do what you got to do. Right, and you you give them the dawah, and you give them the the knowledge that they might be missing, and then you move on to look at the bigger picture and not get so sucked into the one person who's feeling that way. You, you know, you brought up a very interesting point that I just talked to a friend about. That is actually something I would like for us to talk about. What about dealing with the people who just don't get it, right? Because this, I have this. Let me see. Is there anything that's been more polarizing than this? Uh, I would say this is just as polarizing. The last most polarizing thing like this might have been COVID or the U.S. election. But this is up there in terms of polarization of things like you have really extreme sides. Right. Like some people are just like, no, it's like this on this side. Some people are like, no, I stand with Israel and what happened to them and this, this, that. And and then if you say you support Palestine, people are like, how can you support Hamas? And it's. What if dealing with people who just don't get it, like you're at work and somebody comes to you? Because, you know, the funny thing is when somebody, especially sisters get this, they see hijab, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to ask her about this. Hey, uh, ML, ML, you know what I mean? Like, how do you feel about X, Y, Z, you know? Or, hey, Abdullah, how do you feel about this, this, that, right? Like, and then you guys talk about it and it doesn't go as planned and it's just a negative taste in your mouth. How do you deal with those type of people? And dealing with those feelings that come after dealing with those people who may make give you a sour taste. Yeah, um, I think it's it's okay if you're kind of like taken by surprise. It's okay to say like, "Hey, can I get back to you? This is a very you know emotional thing for me. I'll come back to you in a minute." And just kind of calm yourself down because mm-hmm. sometimes they'll ask a question that 
just angers you to an extreme level. Mm -hmm. Like, are you okay with the killing of beheading of 40 babies, right? Of course I'm not okay. Of course no one's okay with that, but that's not what they're asking, Uh right? So you know that's not what they're asking. So that usually like, you know, triggers a really negative emotion. So just being like, hey, like this is a very emotional topic for me. Can I, can we get back to it? Can we grab a cup of coffee outside of work so we could discuss more? Or can we, um, can I message you after? Can we talk on the phone? Like, this is really not a good time to talk about it. And you have every right to say you don't want to talk about something at the moment, especially if it's somebody that you're working with or going to school with or whatnot. Now, it is imperative on all of us to gain the knowledge to talk about the situation. Mm-hmm. It is very important. And I feel it's like fuddled ein. Like it's a fud on every single one of us uh-huh. to learn about Philistine yeah, and to learn enough about the history to answer a lot of these questions that come Check out the Remaster podcast episode before this. I'm sure I have to do a shameless plug because we talked about the history. Please check out the podcast. We continue. Go for it. <laughs> that's awesome. And I was going to say, I'm like, there's so much content out there that's, that's put out um, um, about Philistine and the history and all of that. However, when you're talking to a non-Muslim, a lot of times they'll come and be like, well, you're telling me CNN, MSNBC is is one-sided. How do I believe that your resource that you're telling me is not biased or one-sided? So what I've been doing is I've actually been referring people out to non-Muslims, non-Palestinians who have written books about the apartheid, who have written books about the Nakba. Mm-hmm. Like Elon Pape is one of them, where he writes about um, the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people. Or I'll send them to... Um, um, Instagram pages of people who are not Muslim or Palestinian or even Jewish um, anti-Zionists that are there or ex-Zionists that are now speaking out against Israel. So I'll tell them, like, are you okay with me sending you some resources to read up on your own? And I'd be more than happy to discuss after. Mm-hmm. So this way you're kind of, um, you know, equaling out the, the playing field with them where they're coming up to basic knowledge from a Western point of view without the bias of the news that we have currently that's more pro-Israel. Mm-hmm. Once they get to that level, or if, let's say they're not interested in reading or whatnot, um, then just go into the basics and just say, this has nothing to do, like this ethnic cleansing that's happening right now is not something that just started on October 7th. This is something that's been going on for 75 years. A lot of people don't know that. Mm-hmm. Discussing with them that, you know, the Jewish people were expelled because of the Holocaust outside of Europe And the only place that would take them in was Palestine. Mm -hmm. They took them in as refugees. And there is historical evidence of them coming in on refugee boats and ships and whatnot and having signs saying, we come in peace, we just seek refuge. I don't know if you've seen any of those images, like Mm -hmm. black and white images of Jews coming from Europe into Palestine. And they were welcomed. They were brought in and they were taken in when none of the European countries wanted them and kicked them out. So going back into the history this and reminding people that this has nothing to do with religion. This is not a religious war as the media has been painting it. This has nothing to do with Jews versus Muslims. This is, you know, this is a colonizer who moved in illegally and began to put settlements and occupy the people and hurt the people. Um, There's, um, what's her name? Addie, Addie Martin, I think is her name. Mm. Abby, Abby Martin, I'm sorry. Mm. So Abby Martin is somebody who is a media personnel who went to Palestine and, you know, recorded stuff. And now she puts out documentaries about Palestine, not a Muslim, not Palestinian. And she talks about this all the time about how, you know, like how she saw the injustice that was happening. And her videos were recorded years before October 7th, 2023. Mm -hmm. Right. So just showing them that there's history before this, you know, 
poking the bear of Hamas, as they call it, mm. right? This is, this is a, a historical long-term issue that's been going on. Um, but, but definitely take care of yourself as you're answering these questions, because I know you get, I personally get heated about them when people are asking, especially when they're asking, I don't know, no question is stupid, but sometimes they're asking it on purpose in a stupid way, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, so just, just take care of yourself and arm yourself with knowledge. That's really important. That's an excellent point of the stopping, the pausing. I've been thinking how to implement that into my life with a lot of things because there's a lot of times where we we, we we like we enter these states of flow almost, and we become very reactionary to some things. You know, somebody will say something, and instead of you being like, "Ah, let me think about that," I'll talk to you about it later, or mm-hmm. just give me a second. You're like, "What? Like, why would you? Are, are you dumb?" Or you just you you snap back the way they did, and they're like, "Ah." I got you. And they want that out of you, you know, and then you, you get baited into having those type of discussions, at least in the tone that they want to have it in. Right. If you, um, you know, we have this, um, <laughs> it's this proverb in uh, Liberia, you know, they say, if you're taking a shower and a crazy man comes and he steals your clothes and you run out of the shower to chase him, who's the crazy person? Right. Like, so you don't want to actually get baited into that situation yeah. where you're now looking like an aggressor and you're feeding into the narratives and they want to say you see you know look at him like that's he, he he did it he or she did it this is how they are you know now with that being yeah. said with, with the mention of anger the last perspective i want to get into <clears throat> system is how do we deal collectively with the anger that we feel right now right a lot of people are angry we feel this anger dealing with the people who may not be understanding, seeing what's happening to our brothers and sisters who are defenseless, seeing the lies. I think that's the one thing that's really making people upset, the blatant lies. Like you see the complete opposite of what's happening and they, they're saying what's not happening. How do you deal with that in a healthy fashion? Like how do we deal with that on an individual basis? How can we deal with it collectively as a group in our respective communities or as an ummah at large? Just that anger, dealing with that anger, you know. Yes, subhanAllah. Um, in the past, I've always had a picture of anger like a, as an iceberg, mm-hmm. right? And I would teach people that anger is what you see of anger is usually like the bottom of the iceberg is always bigger, mm-hmm. right? So you see anger at the top, but underneath it is all these emotions because, you know, in, in the mental health field, we consider anger as a secondary emotion, mm-hmm. right? It's not your primary emotion. So what is anger really expressing, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's really important to take a step back and be like, okay, what am I feeling that is showing up as this anger? So is it like helplessness? Is it hopelessness? Is it extreme, um, like feeling like your honor is being stripped because, you know, your Muslim brothers and sisters are being killed and, and you know, mutilated and whatnot. What is it that emotion that you are feeling? And just, just sitting with that, like, Ya Allah, ashku ilayka. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's when the Prophet was, was after Ta'if, he was complaining to Allah. He's like, Oh Allah, I complain to you my weakness, right? Like, Ya Allah, like I, I don't know what to do. And then with Ya'qub, uh, oh, I am only complaining my sadness and my grief to Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, and I thought right? about multiple so, times throughout us talking. I thought of that, I, I thought of that, you know, of Ya'qub. Yeah, subhanAllah, like the, the story of Yusuf is like my absolute, absolute favorite of, of all stories, subhanAllah. So, you know, like looking at all these times, like where you feel that like extreme sense of disparity that 
a lot of times we don't know what to do with it. And instead of returning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and just, you know, crying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and just being vulnerable to Allah and telling him, yeah, Allah, like we are helpless. We are weak. We are hopeless. We get into this extreme rage and anger. And what happens when you're in extreme rage or, or anger, if it's uncontrolled, you do really unplanned things mm-hmm. or things that you probably might have um, bad repercussions. So like if you're going out on a, like in a protest and you get extremely angry because there's a counter protest or whatnot, that's when you're more vulnerable to saying things that you probably don't want to say, or you didn't mean to say. And that's when you'll have media come up to you and ask you questions that are incriminating or that, you know, will have you say things like Hamas has the right to do what they did mm-hmm. or, or whatnot. When, even though you don't believe that, or we don't stand with, you know, the, as they call terrorist organizations or whatnot, mm-hmm. but they will get you at that level of anger because you are more, more vulnerable in that state. So making sure that you are channeling the anger properly by checking what is the like that um, primary emotion that's underneath the anger, then, okay, if the anger is the only way I could deal with it, how do I channel the anger into action? What do I do with that anger? Is it writing a letter to my representative? Is it showing up to the next, you know, meeting in in the Capitol? Is it flying out to DC and I know there's a big protest happening or whatnot, I'm gonna go and join it, or whatever it is that you feel like you're able to channel your anger with, you know, prior thinking through it. Don't do things without without thinking. Um, because that's when you're gonna get in trouble. And also check with yourself. Am I angry for myself or am I angry for the Ummah? The Prophet ﷺ is known to have never retaliated out of anger for himself. Like he would get beaten, he would get hurt, he would get, you know, spat at, all of that. But he would never get up and retaliate. But when he would see things happening to the Ummah, that's when he would like fight back or, or, or you know, speak up and, and whatnot. But he would don't take anger. So check yourself and your intention. SubhanAllah. Man, these things, these are all... Like I said, the just seeing the headlines, seeing the news, the lies, seeing the reports, seeing the videos, it's it it gets over overbearing. And you know, I, I think the last last thing I want to really ask you about. I know this. I said the last thing was the last thing, but this just came to mind. <laughs> how do we cope with the mechanism of how? What's a healthy relationship we should have with social media at this point? Because it shows everything, and we want to stay up to date with all the action. But then it does burn you out. It does drain you just seeing these images consistently, you know, or it numbs you, you know. Yeah. So before everything has happened or like the most recent stuff, there's something that we call doom scrolling. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar Mm -hmm. with that term where you're just on your phone and like you're just aimlessly scrolling, Mm -hmm. trying to get that like dopamine hit from something. Mm And a lot of times you're just doom scrolling. Like you're just constantly scrolling for hours upon hours upon hours to try and get some dopamine hit. Like somebody liked your picture or somebody commented or or something, right? So now I feel like it puts a completely different spin on what that doom scrolling is. It's like we're literally doom scrolling, watching doom happening in front of our eyes, subhanAllah. Like a very, very different, you know, um, feel to what that is. So a healthy way to deal with it is, we have to stay on top of it, right? Because we are giving the voice to the voiceless, right? So that's, that's I feel like, our fuddled right now is that we have to have all of us doing that. So we have to keep on top of it. But what benefit are we to ourselves, to the Ummah or to the Palestinian people if we're burning ourselves out, if we're sleepless and we're not working anymore and if we're not, you know, benefiting ourselves and our Ummah 
locally as well as you know globally. There's no benefit in a burnt out Muslim. And we know the Prophet said that Muslim Muslim that a strong Muslim is better than a weak Muslim. And we're not talking about like physically, mm-hmm. right? So if we're doom scrolling and we're continuously putting ourselves in these like states of numbness or helplessness, we're not really benefiting in any way um, ourselves or the Palestinian people. So having that um, you know, healthy, healthy level of I'm going to maybe when I first wake up, I'm not going to check my phone right away because I know a lot of us just go straight up to see that they bomb another hospital, that they bomb another church. Like what, what now? Right. So I know I'm like, I'm, I'm finding myself falling asleep sometimes with the phone in my hand. Right. And the first thing that I do is I open it up and it automatically is on Instagram already. Like it unlocks and it's there. So I have to be very, um, uh, what's it called? Intentional about it, of like putting my phone away and making sure you wake up, do some adhkar, do some istighfar, do some tasbih of some sort um, to try and, and normalize your morning a little bit and then allow yourself certain amounts of time, a certain, maybe like put um, like a lot of the health apps on your phone will put a cap on how much you could use your social media for. Put a cap on your social media. If 20 minutes is enough, I think 20 minutes is enough at a time to get all the little, the up-to-date news that you need to do. 20 minutes, it's going to close. You're done for the day or you're done for that segment of the day of, you know, watching the news or listen, or, you know, reading about it and then move on with your life. If you start feeling that sense of disparity or anger or what now, what can you do with it? I close my phone. I put it aside. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to give myself a, like five minutes of du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with everything that I just see, or everything that I just saw on my phone. How am I going to process that? I'm going to process it through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through du'a or through two rak'ahs and, you know, like stay longer in sujood and beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, upli- you know, to lift up what's happening in Palestine or in Afghanistan or in all. But right now our focus really is, you know, the, the severely bleeding arm of Palestine, of our body uh, as an ummah subhanAllah. So having that, I think, is a healthy balance. Um, maybe 20 minutes is not enough because you're a person who's constantly posting and, you know, having engagement. Give yourself whatever is... Um, normal for you, but also find a way that you're able to de-escalate after you get off of Instagram. And I know there were people out there that were saying like, no, don't do that. The people of Gaza don't have a chance for a break. Why do you deserve a break when you're just living in, in, you know, in your comfortable home? We can't help them when we're burnt out, right? Like, I'm I'm sorry. I agree with, we have to stay up to date. I'm saying, don't just forget about the story. I'm just saying, take your breaks, take care of yourself. It is okay to step away. It is okay to have normal lives. And you'll see the people of Gaza, once the sun comes out and they've pulled out the bodies and they buried the bodies and took care of the wounded, you'll see videos that they're posting themselves of somebody making bread and they're having tea and they'll say things like, you know what, Netanyahu, we're here to stay. Mm-hmm. Like, and with smiles on their faces and whatnot. And they want to live and they love life, right? There's nothing wrong with us loving life and doing what is halal within our life, knowing that, you know, our akhirah is more important, obviously. But, you know, having that balance and not feeling that sense of guilt that I am enjoying a good cup of coffee or I'm having a good meal or whatnot. I think that's that's where you you have to balance things out. No, that, that, it makes sense because you know in those moments you know we still have to say alhamdulillah, right? Like even though our brothers and sisters may be going through pain, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's His blessing to us is that we're here. We don't have to undergo these things right now in our immediate uh, environment. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala protect us. Like, but 
we, we, we get to enjoy this, right? So you still have to say Alhamdulillah because a lot, because this calamity is happening here, doesn't mean Allah isn't blessing somebody somewhere else, right? And like you said, you know, because we're here and we're blessed, you know, we, we, um, like we have the ability to do more strategic planning as to what actions we can take to help them, right? There, because it's they're, they're they're under siege, there's a genocide. They have to just do whatever they can do and keep moving. And big credit to them because you'll see a mother who will lose her family. She'll cry, but then she'll get back to helping the rest of the community in what needs to be done with the people who are getting tra transported to the hospital or looking after others or, you know, people, they'll cry a little bit and then they get back to it or they're still working while crying. And it's like, subhanAllah. Mm -hmm. But like you said, Sister Amal, like we have to take care of ourselves. We who are not in that position because we still have some responsibility and we here can strategically plan how best to assist them in whatever capacity we can. You know, it, it, you saying like when people first wake up, it, it kind of reminds me of like a toxic kind of relationship we're building with social media, right? We we wake up and the first thing we do, we want to see what they did so we can get angry, so we can stay angrier, so we can share that or should we just, you know, that's a toxic relationship we're building with this, with the me social media. And we have to do a better job, of course, of like staying up to date, but also making sure that we're balanced in how we are, letting things happen naturally, but doing our best to... Still stay grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make dua for our brothers and sisters. Like I said once again, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. And doing our best to um, um, spread awareness and help rectify the situation. Because, you know, it makes me think of the uh, one of the guests we had previously on, um, Imam Fawad Muhammad. He was telling us a sunnah of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa is one of the things he used to do when he first would wake up is he would think of the affairs of all the Muslimin around the world, right? Like, think of how they're doing, what what they're going through, you know? And in those moments, we can do that, and we can sit, and we can make sincere dua for our brothers and sisters, right? Before you pray your Salat al-Fajr, mm -hmm. before your Subh, uh, no, uh, subh uh, uh, before you pray your Salat al-Fajr, right? Your two rakat before and your two rakat mm -hmm. after, right? Like, making sincere dua for your brothers and sisters, right? Or even after, you know, during that time period, recite some Quran, you say Allah, and like you said, to add that piece in, right? That, which is a very underestimated piece, seeing what small ibadat we can add to our lives to help assist our brothers and sisters. If it's even, you say every morning, I'll recite Surah Kawthar for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help alleviate my brothers and sisters, right? Even if something simple like that, as little as that is, is, is worth millions. You, money can't even quantify how much more worth that is to our brothers and sisters and what that could do if you do that sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Allah is al-Aziz, al-Ghafur, like Allah is generous, Allah is kind, Allah has all the risk, right? So it's nothing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes. right? And then like you said, doing this istighfar to to remove these sins that we have in our lives, you know? We're, we're here and we're enjoying, but it's kind of, it's, it's scary, right? Because you may think, they're going through calamity in this dunya, right? So when they get to the akhirah, what will be their fate, right? But us who aren't going through calamity, should we mm -hmm. be nervous? Should we be nervous that nothing's happening to us? Should, is it a wake-up call that, hey, like, yes. what are we, nothing's happening to us, nothing, we're fine, everything is good, you wake up? Like, subhanAllah, like, we have to really do that reality check. But doing that istighfar, like you said wonderfully, right, it can allow us to be freed from those sins and, clean our hearts and bring more risk to us that we're able to help our brothers and sisters in this, the, the smallest ways that we can, you know, or the other a little action, of course, sending salawat upon the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? 
like and reflecting upon who he was and, and, and how we can emulate him as best as we can and learning from his sunnah to implement those things into our lives. Just one thing, of course, right? And yes, being conscious, like you said, like of how we are, being in the moment, being present, you know, which is a tough thing. And, you know, it brings me to a question because this is supposed to be my wrap up section, but let me ask you this. That's okay. Sister Amal, <laughs> how do we stay present? in the moment what are ways we can stay present in the moment just to enjoy or just to stay present not think about what happened when i was in third grade but not think about what's going to happen when i'm like 65 years old like how can i stay in this moment right now yeah so starting off with you know the sunnah there's the hadith or the dua the prophet salam, that's included in our morning and evening it's so to describe or to translate it says oh allah in i ask you or I seek for um refuge of you from hem and hazan hem is um like constant worry and nag so what we would translate into anxiety and hazan is extreme sadness so depression so you're seeking refuge by Allah from the constant worry about the future and from the sadness about the past which is helplessness and and laziness so that's kind of like those are all emotions that we're all feeling right now with everything that's going on um and cowardice and and being stingy which is also another thing we are we're feeling kind of cowardice with the situation of speaking mm-hmm. the truth and we're feeling a little stingy like i don't know if my money is going to actually reach the people or not i do i don't well it's you know we're kind of in a recession i don't know if i want to give or not right so you're asking allah for refuge from these things and then the last thing is uh, is that like feeling of being crushed by your by the loans and the debts that you have on you mm-hmm. Qahr means like the oppression or like the extreme tyranny of mankind. Mm-hmm. So subhanAllah, this is a dua that we're supposed to be saying twice a day, like at Fajr or after Fajr and after Maghrib. And if we constantly like pay attention and focus on the meanings of these duas, I think it helps us become present where and we're asking Allah to remove these things from us, right? Um, other things to be present is when you are about to get into prayer, we're supposed to do what we call istihdar al-qarib. It's like bring your heart to, to you know, attention. But I feel like in our life, we have so many things going on. I know as soon as they say Allahu Akbar, I'm like, oh, I need to make a doctor's appointment for this child and I need to do this. And I, you know, everything that's on your to-do list comes up right as soon as you say Allahu Akbar. So some of the things that help you become more present for your prayer and in general is recognizing where you are physically. So like standing up, you know, Standing up straight, putting your feet down, give your feet a wiggle, make sure you're feeling all five toes on the ground. Like if you have a, a fuzzy rug, do you feel that fuzz on there? Do you feel how your like knees are above your ankles, like your hips are above your knees? And like physically going through, checking how your body is feeling. Am I slumping? Am I standing straight? Am I ready to meet with Allah subhanahu wa Physically, not, not the emotional part. And then like, as you say, Allahu Akbar, where are my hands going? Do I even feel like that? the simple breeze of, you know, my hands moving air onto my face. So feeling these physical things, hearing myself reading Quran is allowing my my hearing to become present with me as well. If you're reading your Quran out loud, making sure you're taking the proper amounts of breath and that med does in your reading, subhanAllah forces you to take deep breaths as you're oh, reading yeah. Quran. Those all help you, you know, to become present in your, in your salah. But throughout your day, 
I think a trauma response that's very common is feeling almost like dissociated and like just disconnected from everything around you. So making sure if you have a loved one to hold and hug your loved ones. I know I spent a solid 15 minutes just holding my three-year-old this morning and just, I had a lot of stuff to do, but I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to sit here and hold her and enjoy the fact that I can hold her and that, you know, we're not under siege or, you know, we're safe and whatnot. And just physically like smelling my daughter and holding her and just feeling her heart beating against mine. Those are all things that help you become really present. Checking with yourself, doing the one exercise we call the five, four, three, two, one. What are five things that I can see? What are four things that I could physically feel with my body? Three things that I can hear, two things that I could smell, one thing that I could taste. And just going through these things to make sure you're bringing all your five senses into the present moment. And this isn't just for now. This is like a an ongoing thing as you, if somebody's dealing with anxiety or if, you know, something, a calamity, inshallah, you know, we're all safe. But if you're ever struggling to become present, do these exercises, inshallah, they will help. No, barakallah, feek, Sister Amal. Those are all great tips, you know, to help us as best as we can. You know, just to uh, wrap up, as we wrap up this podcast, you know, brothers and sisters, I, I think really taking the time to, Sit with yourself and do some introspection as to what can you do uh, on the inside as well as then looking what you can do as far as the outside goes in the most consistent but in the most uh, minimal but consistent fashion, right? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves uh, the small consistent deed, right? What can we do small and then consistent action versus these big Herculean efforts? Because like the uh, our wonderful sister said today, right? We this whole situation is bigger than us, right? We can't blame ourselves for what's going on to our brothers and sisters, and we can't say we're the solution to it, right? Unless one of you guys out there is Imam Al Mahdi, you know what I mean? We don't. <laughs> you 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 just laying dormant, right? But there's nothing yeah. we can do as individuals to say, yeah, I'm going to end this whole thing by myself, right? So what can we do consistently on a smaller basis, and then in turn hopefully inspire others to do on a small consistent basis and you know one thing big that the sister shared that we can do to really help our brothers and sisters is to share what is going on with this situation because one beautiful thing i see that i was talking to a brother of mine's about he he was surprised that because he's older and he was just baffled that some people said they don't know where to fall on this issue and he's like subhanallah that's never been the case people usually decide with israel right but people mm. are seeing the truth now but what does this also mean? This also means that if people, this this could be people segue into Islam. Some people say, you know what? They, these, the media said this, this, and this about Islam. Let me go see what this Islam thing is talking about. That book, the the Quran, let me see what it's talking about. And he's, this could be the way for many people to enter the fold of Islam, you know? So one thing we know that we don't want to do, right, is of course we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps us inside of Islam and that we don't get replaced, right? by a, a, a different group and a different group to take our places. But, you know, how can we spread this message any opportunity we get? Not forcibly, of course, but just to show people, right? Because just in the, us showing our actions and living to the standards, et cetera, will show people that this is the best way of life, you know? And that can help our brothers and sisters and help humanity as a large, right, as a whole. And, you know, doing our best to recognize where we are currently as far as this um, situation goes in Palestine, right? Where are you angry some days? Are you sad? How do you feel? Why do you feel like that? 
you know, recognizing where we are and taking the steps to be present and uh, rectifying that as best as possible. And then last, like the sister said, appreciating those who matter to us, who mean something to us. You know, one thing I would like to kindly ask everybody to do is, you know, reach out to somebody who really matters to you, you know, call them, text them, you know. It doesn't have to be somebody that's Muslim. I mean, do somebody Muslim, be somebody not Muslim, but reach out to these people, let them know that they matter and really enjoy time with them. Spend time with your friends, um, you know, do little actions, you know, just to, 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 to really enjoy this experience of life. Because as we see with our brothers and sisters in Gaza, like in the blink of an eye, everything could change. You could lose everything. Nobody is safe, right? Nobody is safe. And, you know, we all have to keep that in mind. Um, Sister Amal, before we go, um, this is something real quick, though. Also, please donate to Mercy Without Limits. Um, like I said before, and I keep emphasizing this, we're not funding a war. We just want to help save children and save innocent people, mothers, fathers, brothers. These are human beings like the way we are human beings. We are not entitled to a better life than them just because we are here and they're there. No, 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 no. But how can we help them? So please Donate whatever you can, please, inshallah. Forget about me, but just for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, please help out American Muslims for Palestine and their causes and the things they're doing. Also, please donate to other causes for Sudan, uh, Afghanistan, Morocco, Libya, Syria, uh, just all our brothers and sisters around the world in West Africa, everywhere here in the United States. Whatever humanitarian causes, please just donate for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But, Sister Amal, before we get off, the one thing I like to ask all our guests... So we collect some benefit for the Akhirah. Sister Amal, please, if you could share one ayat or one hadith or one action from the Sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, that people can implement in their daily lives, what would that be? Mm, can I cheat and say two? Because they're yeah, of course. Oh, my all-time favorite. Let's, all right. <laughs> we collect the ajra for both of us, inshallah. Inshallah. So my absolute favorite ayah that is, is, is of all times is um, uh, don't despair from the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? That's like my absolute favorite whenever I feel like absolutely low or you know extreme disparity or whatnot. But in the current situation that we're in, a new ayah was repeated. I can't remember if it was um, Brother Sami Hamidi had mentioned it on one of his, you know, like the recent uh, recordings. The ayah is from Surah Al-Isra. It says, وَمَنْ أَرَادَ الْآخِرَةَ وَسَعَادَهَا سَعِيهَا وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَأُولَئِكَ كَانَ سَعِيهُمْ مَشْكُورًا And for those who want the Akhirah and did everything that they needed to do, like took the path and strived on the path of Al-Akhirah while they're believers, فَأُولَئِكَ كَانَ سَعِيهُمْ مَشْكُورًا Those their striving in that path will be thanked. It doesn't mention anything about if they were able to accomplish things or not. So would we fear extreme disparity right now in like, I don't feel like what I'm doing is enough. Know that your edge is on your striving, not on the result of it all. So that's my my current day favorite ayah at this point. You know, just, you, you know, that kind of reminds me of all the places in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions people who they didn't necessarily succeed because they uh, 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 were victorious in initial victory, but their victory was through their sabr and their reliance in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through their belief, you know. Uh, you know, the people of the trench who like were burned or uh, 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 what's his name from Surah Yasin, Ya Salam. Uh, but the man who went to his people, uh, 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 who was a follower of Nabi Isa alayhi salam, just 
telling his people. And if you look up in the uh, uh, from Christian reports, that man was actually uh, murdered by his people. Like they didn't listen mm-hmm. to what he was talking about, right? Or just yeah. the the the, the uh, youth of the the cave in Surah Kaf, right? Like just those different mm-hmm. places where people Asia. they weren't necessarily. What you say, Sister Man? I said Asiya, the wife of Pharaoh. Yeah, Asiya, like, the wife of Pharaoh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These people weren't initially, they weren't victorious necessarily because they were forceful and they beat somebody and they, no, but they were victorious. Why? Because of their belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, the same with the companions. Not all of the companions lived to see the, the, the conquest of Mecca, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still, you know, radiallahu anhum wa radu an, you know, Allah is pleased, Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. So brothers and sisters, the biggest thing to wrap up everything is, what are we doing to make sure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with us in our akhirah, you know? That's the biggest thing we should always be worried about in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and always having that good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah will see us through and help us in our times when we are feeling alone, when we feel powerless and rely on him as our only source of power. So, Sister Amal, Barakallahu feek. Thank you. This was wonderful. I might need a counseling session personally because this is <laughs> just, my, you know, all this stuff, you know. But thank you again. Um, everybody, please, like I said, please donate to Mercy Without Limits and American Muslims for Palestine and other humanitarian causes. I'm not, we, we want to donate and help everybody around the world is to be good human beings, good Muslimin, you know. Um, thank you all. Please check out the podcast. Please share with friends and we'll see you guys later. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.